Uh-huh. I know what you're thinking. Is this the booth drafting the circuits? Three-way theater or the Kevin Jackson show? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kinda lost track myself here on Hoobazoo.com. So, do you feel lucky, punk? Oscar Mike Radio. Come in. Come in, Oscar Mike Radio. Sinister One, this is Oscar Mike. I have Ulima Charlie over. Today is June 1st, 2017. My name is Travis and this is Oscar Mike Radio broadcasting live, well kind of live, from the city of Champions, Brockton, Massachusetts. This is episode 46. I'm going to start with the question of the week. And this question comes from Eric. How was the D-Day over Normandy film uh, experience that you went to last week. And that's a great question, Eric. Thank you very much for listening. It was great. I went down to the Vets in Providence, Rhode Island, which is right by the Providence Place Mall. And it's one of those old-time theaters with uh, real vaunted ceilings and all the intricate artwork and, and attention to detail that you just don't find in a big megaplex movie theater. This thing had character. You just won't see anything like it, at least in this area. And I come there and I brought, you know, one of my children and one of their friends. And we're pulling up there and we're seeing... Uh, people, I mean, a ton of people. I was, I was like, wow, this is this is great. And the ushers were dressed up in World War II uniforms. People had really gone all out and gotten real, authentic World War II uniforms. Army sailors, Marines, you know, and they were passing out programs and thanking you for coming. It really felt like an event. And even the ushers who actually worked the theater had tuxes on. I mean with their ties and everything. It was it was fantastic. Got a great seat. The vet sits anywhere from 800 to 1,000 people. Um, the whole bottom section was completely full, and most of the top section of the theater was, was full of people. And it was wonderful. Um, we're sitting there, we're getting excited, and they have, you know, Mr. Gray come out and introduce... Uh, the project along with sponsors who had given money to allow us to be filmed. Uh, Rob Ninkovich from the New England Patriots came out and talked about, you know, some of the things that he had seen through the film and from Coach Belichick being able to narrate it. 
and then the film started. And again, this was one of his first films. Tim has done 19 of these. This is his 19th film. But this is his first film where he shot the actual footage with a, a drone entirely. With a, a nice high-end drone with a high, high-def camera. And you could tell that this was a, a really unique experience. Because... You know, it's one thing to see it in a helicopter, and it's one thing to see a, a plane flying over a certain area, but it, it's one thing also to see uh, the drone above a, a church in a field, and it's just sitting there, and you're, a, you're able to, with the camera, pan from point to point in interest, or when they went in front of the cliffs at Omaha, and they showed, actually, you got a real sense for just how high these things were. And what uh, the people had to do, and the the length uh, the, the length from the actual beach from the landing craft to the you know uh, cliffs where the pillboxes were, just really makes you sit there and think, wow, I mean, how did these guys do this? And then I think one of the most startling features that it's not really just talked about, but not really you know, talked about as a real focal point was the cemetery. And I remember seeing pictures of it in history books in school and and other places and some college textbooks, so on and so forth. But when you have the drone flying over all the white crosses in France like that, it really brings it home because almost 10,000 of our soldiers and sailors died in, in, in that you know four-day in, you know in, in invasion of Normandy, and when you see all these crosses all over the place, it really makes you stop and think about what was required to make this happen. And then my second thought is: Would this happen today? Could you ask ten thousand people? to pretty much rush headlong into their death. And I, I'm, I'm not sure I, I want to think about that answer. I think we have great military now. I think we have dedicated men and women who want to serve and protect their country. But I, I do agree with what uh, Mr. Gray said, is that you would never see this kind of operation take place like this ever again. And then... The movie ends, and they they bring down some of the World War II vets to talk with uh, Rob Nikovich and Tim Gray about his experience in World War II and what that meant to him, and it was just amazing to hear this guy who's sharp as a tack talk about what he experienced and, and what it meant to him to see this film and, and how uh, this affected the rest of his life. <laughs> as funny as line was, he's like, yeah, I can still uh, wire up explosives to do demos, so I'm, I'm still dangerous. And, and you know, our, our grandfathers were savages, man. They were savage badasses, and I just, I do wish my grandfathers had told us more about their experiences in the military. But for whatever reason, as you know, Tim said several times, is that a lot of these men never did. 
they came home, they put away their medals, they put away their, their, their memorabilia, never talked about it and went about their lives. Uh, for good or ill, that's what they did. So I'm, um, I'm not sure if that was the right thing, but that's what happened. And, and again, last but not least, but my, 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 my child and, and, and their friend came and they said they absolutely loved it. They can't wait to see it on Blu-ray and show their friends. And I think that's important because like I talked about with uh, Tim, kids are getting interested in this because of games like Call of Duty and Battlefield 1 where the, the video games have gotten so good that it almost tells its own story and everything it, it, you know seems not real but you know it, it, it's definitely not inconceivable that they don't miss the size and scale of what they're experiencing on the video screen what I mean by that is when they see the old tanks going across the trenches, it's more than I had growing up. I had to either watch old old war movies or read books, but they're actually in the tank experiencing what that's like in confinement. And the only thing missing is the, the smoke and the smells and the explosions going off and, you know, right beside them. So they enjoyed it. And so I would tell you to go to uh, WW. Uh, II or you know capital I capital I World War II Foundation.org. You can order the DVD or Blu-ray. I highly suggest to getting the Blu-ray and checking it out. It's about an hour and 20 minutes long, and it's it's worth every penny. Had a great time. So Eric, I hope that answers your question. Okay, the word. This is episode 46, thinking about what to talk about. And I wanted to talk about this week a personal experience. I, I haven't really ever went back and, and delved into my uh, Marine Corps experience a whole lot and how I got started. So I wanted to take this time and talk about my experience becoming a Marine you know, what I did to get into the Marine Corps, what boot camp was like, what MCT was like, what Huck School was like, what uh, my duty station was like, and then coming out. So I'm going to give this a try this week, see if it resonates with anybody, and see if my memory is still any good. And the reason I'm kind of doing this is because... Tw- Let's see here. It's 2017. 22 years ago, I was in first phase in boot camp. And I'm like, I've never really talked about, you know, how I actually went into the Marine Corps. So here goes. And I'll, I'll try to make this interesting. And um, because everybody's experience is different. And uh, join along. So I was in Louisiana at the time. We had moved there from Alabama, and before that we had moved from Louisiana to Alabama, and before that we had moved from Illinois to Louisiana. And I had tried a couple semesters of college, 
a lot of reasons it didn't work out. No need to go back there. And was uh, working a job at a car dealership down there. Nothing really high end or high speed. Didn't really have a lot of direction in life, I'm, I must admit. I, I felt like I was missing something in my life. There, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for a kid with little money, no car, I had a motorcycle, to really do something with himself where I was. But I'd always liked the military, as I said in my Barksdale Air Force Base episode, that I had a lot of respect for the military. Again, my grandfather served in the, in the armed forces, both Navy guys. And I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, you know, if I don't do something radical, uh, I'm never going to leave this. I'm going to be parking cars or washing cars or selling cars the rest of my life. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else, but I, I just didn't want to do that. And so I was good with computers. I was good with technology. And said, you know, I'm going to join the military. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to get out of what I know here in this part of the country and try something new somewhere else. And so I thought about all the services. I'm like, I really don't want to join the Army. I just didn't sit well with me. I don't know why. Navy... I just didn't like the idea of being on a metal object in the middle of the ocean for three to six months at a time. It just did not, I just, no, no. I mean, to be told by guys in the Navy that, hey, we, we, we were on a boat for six months. We stopped at ports every now and then, but we were basically on a boat for, for seven days a week, you know, for 30 weeks. I'm like, no. Forget that. No. And the Air Force, I mean, it was cool because we had the Barksdale Air Force Base there, but it didn't really seem like the military. It's, it's like these guys went, they, they worked on the planes, they did their other duties, and they came home. It wasn't really like a, like a, like a military job. I mean, it was. It, it's a highly important job. At the time, I, was, I didn't know anything. I just called it what I, what I knew. And so I said, you know, this like a, like like a like a job, like like a, like a like something that you know you're you're dedicated to being. I mean, they're good at their job. It's hard keeping those planes in the air, especially as old as some of those those planes are. But I, I just didn't feel it. And I I remembered something my grandfather said to me about the Marine Corps. And you know, he was Navy, so he's like, you know. If, the Marine Corps is this, the Marine Corps that. And one of my friends' dads, like, you know, the Marines, you know, we always count them to go, hey, diddle, diddle, straight up to the middle. And I'm like, well, well, why couldn't I be a Marine? What's, what's, if I'm going to join the military, I might as well go all the way. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do this. So I went down to the recruiter's office and, and, and told them I wanted to join. And their faces lit up. I mean, because <laughs> I'll get into it later, maybe next episode or that I do this, is for them, that's, that's, the, that's easy money. 
They didn't have to go anywhere or do anything. They just had to take your info and you know see what's going on. So the first thing that I remember that they did, and I remember my recruiter's name. His, his he was a staff sergeant. His last name was Bischoff. He was married, two kids, and was on recruiting duty. And he was out of the Bossier City recruiting office at the time. And so the first thing they had me do, and this is because of my school situation, they, they wanted me, before they did anything else, to take the ASVAB. And it's the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery Test. I think it's what the ASVAB acronym or thing stands for. And basically it's a test to see, according to what I was told at the time, you know, it's a way to measure how much common sense you actually have so they can place you in the best occupational field in the military, which is a complete line of BS, okay? Except for very rare situ- situations, they will put you wherever they want to put you regardless of, of, of what they think, you know, you want or deserve or earn or whatever. So I took it. I had taken it. A couple of years before, kind of knew what I was getting into. And I got my score back, and I had a, I think it's a GT, is like a general technical score of 120, which ironically for the Air Force is average. Not really something special. Army, you know, you're like, okay, he's, he's one of the smart ones. Navy, again, average. Not, not. Not dumb, not smart, just right there in the middle. Nothing special. But in the Marine Corps, a GT of 120 says that you can do any job in the Marine Corps save language. Because that's the first thing I picked. I wanted to be one of those translator types. I thought it would be pretty cool to, to be translating for a senior officer and going cool places and pulling good duty that way. And so they had me take a language test, and I failed it. I failed it three times, and I'm like, okay, this is crazy. But they did have, at the time, all these cool aviation MOSs or jobs to do. And I'm like, I I can get down with that because I I loved airplanes. I loved airplanes, aircraft. I'm like, you know, okay. But I couldn't be a crew chief on a stage 46 because, well, they're, they're getting rid of those, allegedly, at the time. And, you know, there's other things involved, but the one that uh, in the field I want to go into that really, really bad was air traffic control. And I thought that that is cool. I, I, I went to the library and read up about air traffic control, the, the, the job situation, the job field, and how it all worked. I'm like, that is me. I could definitely do that job. So I went back to the staff sergeant and said, I want to sign up for this MOS. He's like, well, you can't sign up for ATC, even though, you know, your scores say you can do that job. We can put you in the, the um, 7200 MOS field, and if you land that, that boat space, we'll put you there. So I said, what else is there? He's like, well, there's crash fire rescue, there's cryogenics, there's, you know, avionics, there's, you know... Um, flight line work, all kinds of cool aviation support MOSs that 
you know, you'll be on a ship out in the middle of the ocean, you know, you know, supporting Harriers, you'll be, you know, inland, you know, setting up, you know, ATC radars and stuff like that. There's, there's tactical radars you can use. I'm like, okay, this, this is cool. And I said, okay, I'm in, I'm in, you know, really held out for it, made him work for his money and got the MOS that I wanted. And then it got really real. I went for my PFT and I could do like 12 pull-ups at the time, my run time. Uh, my sit-ups were like, I don't know, 50 sit-ups in two minutes. Not great. And my run time sucked. Partially because I'm not really a runner and partially because I'm not really a runner. Not built to run. Not trained to run. I'm a, I'm a weightlifter first before I'm a runner. So I had to work to get my, you know, run time down. And uh, that's what I did. And so I'm doing all this. And we go down to, was it not Lafayette? It was, it was either Alexand- it was Alexandria or Natchitoches. One of those two places we had to meet up with some kind of state or regional, you know, Marine Corps recruiters, a bunch of them were going to meet, we're going to do a PFT, and, you know, we get in this van, we go down there, and we, we run the PFT, and when I ran that PFT, you know, I passed that PFT, and was told I, 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 I had the, the technical score, the PFT score, and, you know, everything else in line to, oh, the other thing was, oh, yes, I was too heavy. Um, I weighed two hundred and like nine pounds at the time, or no, I weighed two hundred and twenty-one pounds at the time. I'd get down to two hundred and like three pounds to get into boot camp, and they told me I'd weigh one hundred seventy-eight pounds by the time I left boot camp. I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. So I'm dieting, I'm running, and I'm watching my weight go down. They had me come in every week and weigh in and. You know, good job. You know, you're going to be a good devil dog. You're making good progress. Boot camp's going to be a cinch for you. You're not going to have any problems at all. It's going to be great. It's like camping out. Partying's like camping out. I mean, you like camping out. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yes, that's right. You're getting paid to camp out. Just keep, just, just now, just lay off those biscuits and, and, and don't eat this and don't eat that and keep running. You're just going to have a great time out there. I really see good things for you. And I got that MOS locked in for you. Yeah, you're going to be thanking me one day. I'm like, this is great. So, when I passed that PFT, all of a sudden, this started getting really, really real. Like, I'm going to leave what I knew, and I'm going to go to San Diego, California, which I... I, I, to tell you how much I didn't know about the Marine Corps, I had no idea. I thought everybody went to Paris Island because that's what I saw in Full Metal Jacket. I didn't even know they had another one out in um, San Diego. Had no idea. Didn't even know it existed. Oh, yes. Because you're west of the Mississippi River, you're going to MCRD San Diego. I'm like, all right. Okay. No problem. But then, you know, I'm getting ready to do this. I went to the MEPS Medical and did all this crazy stuff. 
you had to you know walk real funny and on your on your like duck walk and you know do all this other stuff and and do standing jumps and stand on one leg and do the eye test and do this and do that and you know bend over and cough yep you had to bend over and cough that passed and then at that time I had done everything I had passed the ASVAB passed the PFT got my weight down to the right weight um, got the MOS field kind of locked in and then passed medical and now it was time to swear in that I was going to do this and so the thing was too is I hadn't really told any parents or authority figures what I was going to do because I wasn't 18 at the time I, I was 21, 22 when I went in the Marine Corps because again I I had tried college I thought college was too hard so I'll join the Marine Corps that's easy and that's, I figured I was old enough now to do exactly what I wanted to do I didn't care Probably now I'd do it a little bit differently, but that's how I rolled back then. I was on my own. I did my own thing. Didn't really answer anybody, and so that's how I did it. But at that time now that I've done all this, and I have, you know, basically signed on the dotted line and, and became property of Uncle Sam, it was time to tell people. It's time to make this real. And... That led to a whole lot of other things that uh, came about as a result of my decision. And what happens next will be in a future episode in July. So that's kind of what I want to talk about this week was, hey, I was this you know kid parking cars, washing cars, learning how to sell cars. Wanted to, t- wanted to do something different with his life and picked the Marine Corps, passed the test, raised my hand, swore to defend the Constitution of the United States and all that good stuff. And my next task was to start telling family and friends that I had done this. And I will cover that in my leaving the... Louisiana in the next episode in July when I talk about this. So that's the first part of my story. Thank you for listening. And this is Travis with Oscar Mike Radio out. Oscar Mike Radio over and out. Oscar Mike Radio, do you copy? Turns to one actual, I have you five by five.
Oscar Mike Radio is in route. Copy that, Sinister One. Coming at you from the city of champions, Brockton, Massachusetts. Come in, Oscar Mike Radio. Oscar Mike Radio, veteran in action, on the move, on mission, always. <laughs> 